It's time for the Access of Easy podcast, the weekly technology digest that keeps you ahead of the curve. Brought to you by EasyDNS.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Axis of Easy. This is the audio sidekick to uh, the weekly newsletter at AccessofEasy.com. You can sign up, get a discount on uh, EasyDNS products when you sign up, plus all the stuff we don't cover here on the podcast you can read up on. Again, EasyDNS.com, sign up. All it takes is your email. Len, what is going on over there, buddy? Happy Friday. Nah, it's just, you know, it's winter, Joey. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to be getting a very severe, as they call it, winter storm in the next little while. Plus, yeah. I'm not sure if you saw the temperatures next week. It's going to plummet. So we're we've due. been very we're fortunate. We've been lucky. Yeah. 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 We have been very When's lucky. When's the storm with... coming? Do you know? Is it today or tomorrow? Tonight, maybe? It's supposed to start sometime on Friday afternoon-ish, mm. right evening-ish, mm. and then carry over into the evening of Friday. But um, yeah, that's that's a storm later. Friday. I don't want to make this into a weather <laughs> channel. But yeah, man, everything is good. How about you, Joey? Everything I'm good, right? man. I'm good. My wife just took a uh, little moose to work. I can hear Tito kind of prant- prancing outside the door here, my in-laws dog. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to take him for a walk. So we better get going. Today, we have the quote from last week. Every moment is a fresh beginning. That's from T.S. Eliot. Tony, the big winner. Nice job, Tony. Good snipe there. And today's quote, do not hesitate to ask boldly for more. Who asks a king for a penny? I like that. Uh, if you know who that's by, Put it in the comments. No Googling. You guys know the rules. You have to go to your uh, set of encyclopedias to find that one. No control laughing on the internet. So first person to get that right gets your next hosting renewal on EasyDNS. Can't beat that. Len, five stories today. Where no, do you want to start, my friend? I, I think it's six. Six stories today. Where do you want to start? Well, Elon Musk's new X. Um, well, there's some interesting information going on surrounding some of the accounts over there because there's a new trend by people wanting to get their hands on some ill-gotten booty. And we're talking about people stealing some stolen accounts, X slash Twitter accounts. And these accounts are being peddled on the dark web. So some people are actually stealing these accounts, the access to the accounts, and the information is being sold on the dark web. And it's just not any run-of-the-mill Twitter or X account. I'm going to call it X from the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are the stolen, coveted gold checkmark accounts, Joey. Gold checkmark is uh, that's like a association with a company. Is that what the? Uh... I think from what I was looking at, it there's not any association. It's just you're paying a crap load. Oh, okay. More and cool. would you would your guess how much you have to pay per month for this? The plus service is about twenty bucks. Uh, what's that one? Five hundred more. It's you're, you're gonna ballpark. It's one thousand dollars per month. Okay. This. So th- these are not cheap accounts. The people behind this, they have money to spend, significant amount of money to spend, or a corporation behind it, they're willing to write it off. But that's a topic for another time. But yeah, these are generally used by large corporation businesses and the like. That's generally what these are, are attributed to. But anybody could, I guess, apply for one of these gold check marks account if you have the money. So these accounts, they're being compromised, but they're also then being used as weapons by some of these malicious actors. And by doing so, these guys are now able to spread malware and phishing attacks. So this is very lucrative on the black market. People trying to people obtaining this, they're selling this for about two thousand dollars a pop, which is 
in my eyes, pretty cheap, if you ask me, because <laughs> considering how much you're spending to get this account verified, I, I would expect it to be a lot more in the open market, black market, but who am I to, to say anything? But anyways, people reminded here, they, they sh if you do have one of these accounts, I'm not sure if anybody is that's listening here, you got to scrutinize your X account and you have to scrutinize the feed for any suspicious activities and also for unusual tweets, direct messages, but also if there's a surge in followers, that's another thing that's going to be a telltale sign something's up with your account. And people obviously should be using robust security policies and pol uh, passwords within your organizations, some sort of unique passwords rotated often. But given this, you know, we see that these gold checkmark accounts have been hacked. This is going to tie into a story that we'll talk about later. I'm not going to talk about it very much now, but the SEC account was hacked this past week. And that's on the docket that we'll be discussing today. I'm wondering if this was used. Somebody hacked it, got access to it, compromised it, sold it on the dark web, used that information. Then from there, they were able to compromise, uh, sorry, to use the hacked SEC account uh, and post some nefarious information about Bitcoin. I'm wondering if that is everything. So I'm just trying to tie two stories together here. But man, oh man, like there's some people out there that are spending lots of money and they're not doing proper due diligence mm -hmm. to secure their account. If you're spending upwards of a thousand a month, over a thousand a month, you should be very secure with your with your information. But clearly people are not. They're putting password one, two, three or some other crappy passwords <laughs> easy to hack and they're getting wrecked in the process. So, yeah, yeah. It, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have a lot of common sense. And this is an example of it. Pretty funny. Eh? We talk every week about people who are dropping the ball on their password security. This is a, gr a great one. I can't wait to talk about the link to the SEC uh, with this story. I think that's maybe the bigger story here. I'm I'm always shocked that people, like you mentioned, spend so much time and energy deciding to yellow check an account or even blue check an account uh, and then don't secure it. It's it's strange to me. And this clearly the, the best part is that any like Twitter user or X user will tell you that you can clearly see that there are accounts with check marks being bought for the purposes of spam or pushing scams or whatever. And this, you know, your account is not exempt from this. They will look to get your account too. Now I I'm with you on the price. They should be charging more for this, should they not? It seems like a really good deal. You can get a nice account with a bunch of followers and a yellow check mark for two thousand bucks. That's not bad. You know, we could we could maybe afford that at CBP. We got to get on this website, <laughs> blackhatwhatever.com. See if we can grab something. I don't know, but it's it's funny. The SEC thing is like a disaster for you know that, that's like linked to this. I can't wait to discuss that. But overall, Len, you're right. Like just spend the, the if if you had a twenty minute board meeting about whether or not to do this, spend the same 20 minutes setting up 2FA and doing a proper password and like writing it down on a piece of paper. It's not that hard, <laughs> but no one does it, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah, if I can make suggestions, use uh, capitals here, numbers here, um, <laughs> characters like slashes, dots. They tell things. you to do that when you set up a password. Like we obviously just made an account for uh, CBP a little while ago. And like when you set up a password, they tell you whether it's weak or strong. Like do you just push through with the weak password? <laughs> Like, what is the excuse for this? I have no idea. Any, anyone just, anyone can figure this out, except for the people who need to, I guess. No, they have money to burn. It doesn't really matter, I guess, suppose. Sure. But we, sure. we can move on because a Canadian court recently issued a ruling, and this is an interesting ruling, which limits the number of times that police can attempt to guess a suspect's phone password. So if they have access to a phone and they're not able to get into it right away, the courts have limited how many times you're able to have them allowed to get into it. So in this specific case, the judge restricted the police to 
no more than 175 million attempts. Mm. How many is that number? That's a lot. 170. <laughs> like, think about it. all those people that have one, two, three, four, five, six as their code. How hard is it going to be to guess in that 175 million attempts? And the ruling stems from a situation where the police sought access to phones suspected to contain child pornography. Mm-hmm. While acknowledging the possibility that cracking the passcode will take several years, upwards of two years, the judge that he deemed the odds statistically negligible and therefore unjustifiable for an extensive number of attempts. Huh. It makes me wonder, why wouldn't they just allow them an unlimited amount of attempts given what they suspect is on the phone? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's hard for me to say what was the rationale for this. There there could have been some precedents or... They could have been citing some other court rulings. I do not know. But, I mean, given what's at stake here, personally, and I think a lot of other people might agree with me in this, but if not, it's their choice, I would allow them an unlimited amount. And if they could somehow get into it, take some whatever amount of time, whatever amount of energy to do so, and to confirm that there is some of this on their phone, and then you could just basically nail this guy to the cross. But whatever. I guess 175 million attempts, hopefully they'll be able to do it within that it's an odd number, but whatever. It is what it is. I'm going to look up here just a sec. How to pronounce a number. And I'm going to type a number in here that's in the story. This is going to be nuts. Uh, okay. So the number of possible passwords, I think, with a six-digit alphanumeric passcode for each it's phone. nominal or something like some... i'll tell you right now it is 44 nanillion 12 octillion yeah. 666 septillion 865 sextillion 176 quintillion 569 quadrillion 755 trillion 543 billion 212 million 890,625 that's how many possible passwords there are 175 million is truly a small number in that context so i sometimes i go down like these youtube rabbit holes and one of them is phone repair people who bring in old phones to try and get like pictures off them for example and you can plug in this thing that i think a lot of repair shops have that basically will just brute force a four digit passcode uh on an old iphone overnight um if you have access to the device it'll basically be able to do it for you overnight and I think when Apple included or started to include these alphanumeric passwords or the six-digit passcodes, really started to cause a problem for these repair shops and also for law enforcement. And the only problem I have here, Len, I don't have a problem with them limiting attempts. I think that's fine. But my beef here is like the way that the Ottawa citizen frames the story. How many times should forensic investigators be allowed to guess the password of a locked cell phone belonging to a suspected pedophile? I don't know. Why don't you prove that he's a pedophile before you have access to his phone? Try that. And uh, if you can't do that, then you don't get the phone. Because again, like we we talk on this show a lot about how children's safety and you know defense against pedophilia and online sex trafficking and child pornography and things like that, it's used often as a wedge in the door to remove privacy and the expectation of you know having a private device. This is to me like the question isn't how many times should you be able to do it. The question is. What does it mean to be a suspected pedophile compared to you know being able to confirm it? And there's other ways to do this besides taking someone's phone for three years. Is there not? I mean, there, sh- there surely needs to be. And the police services should be thinking about that and thinking about doing good work, uh, which they often do, I'm sure, to prove these things before getting the phone. The phone should be the sort of cherry on top 
uh, when you're doing an investigation like this, in my opinion. And there's plenty of opportunities, I think, to grab um, to grab these sort of perpetrators with other means before you say, we have to grab your phone because you're a suspected pedophile. I think that's dangerous. But overall, uh, that number, Len, is like super small. It's very small in the grand scheme of things. And probably with like a jailbroken phone or with a Graphene OS phone, I'm not sure. Presumably, you could use more than just the six digits. Presumably, you could use more than just alphanumeric. You could do symbols. You could do all this stuff. Oh, so yeah. Number, it grows, it grows exponentially, right? Yeah, it grows exponentially. So uh, this is, again, another example of, you know, our legislative bodies trying to keep up with a, a, a technological, you know, landscape that is way past escape velocity at this point uh, when it comes to, like, keeping up with uh, our, our laws and, and things like that. Not great, but uh, there's some caution here, too, I think. What if this is the only piece of evidence to tie him to this? What how, if, can, what if he's how, been, can, how can it, like, I'm trying to think about how a phone could be the only piece of evidence. Like, he, sure, he doesn't use a computer. He doesn't use a computer. He uses Tor, uses a VPN. And so he's able I to mean, cover you could, tracks. I guess, but like, you know, presumably you could go and get a hard drive. I don't know. Like, but there is no hard drive. Again, if he only uses a phone and he has no other piece of equipment. It's, di it's difficult for me to think about it because I just don't know. But I mean... This, this idea that you can be suspected of something and have your hardware seized, to me, I mean, we've seen this before, right? We've talked about this. How many stupid NGOs or international organizations are like, oh, well, we got to protect you from child pornography. No encryption allowed. Shot 256, not allowed on the retail side of things anymore. Like, like that's sort of the direction we're heading. And I, I sound like a pedophile apologist. I, I'm not, of course, but mm -hmm. we have to make a distinction here. What is What is private? And what is required to grab somebody's private property and just try to get into the thing for three years? Is it if it's a suspicion? I don't think that's enough. You got to prove it to me. Like that again. That should really be the cherry on top. I think. And you know, maybe you can go through the the service provider or whatever. I have no idea, Len. But to me, some caution to be to be had here. I think. Oh, there's lots of dots we don't have the ability to connect because we don't have the data. Yeah, but. We could move on. We could talk about something we do have the data on, and it is a recent wave of cyber attacks that's been targeting YouTube channels. And I guess we got to be careful of this as well with our channel. So hackers are compromising these channels, and once they do so, they're uploading videos that appear to be legitimate tutorials hmm. on how to crack software. And these videos, they unfortunately contain malicious links that when clicked, they infect the viewer's devices with malware called the Luma Stealer. Hmm. Three out of five. Yeah, two and a half, maybe yeah. at best. Yeah. Maybe two, yeah. So the Luma Stealer, this is a potent piece of malware, and it steals a variety of sensitive information from their victims, including the login credentials, financial data, and even how much digital assets you have, like Bitcoin. Yeah. So this is pretty damning stuff. And the attackers behind these scams, they're pretty adept at evading detection and they're employing a lot of privacy tools and encryption techniques to stay under the radar. And so YouTube, they're doing their part. They're removing the malware from their platform, but they're, really the onus is going to be up to the people out there that are watching these videos. They shouldn't be willy-nilly just clicking on something because if you do, well, here's an example of what may happen. I think this, there's also a call to action for people that do have channels to just keep an eye if there's any suspicious activities, if there's some videos that have been posted on their channel that they have no association with, that they don't have any idea. 
they should be more diligent to it. It's, it's another thing that people should be aware of. But it, another thing, that I think this is all stemming from people having poor passwords. Is how else are people uploading videos to channels? Yeah, and I, that's poor password <clears throat> hygiene. And so people need to practice better privacy hygiene. And here's another example. This is you know, there's so many things that are wrong here, and there's so many people that are at fault. But you know, it, it's up to the end user, I guess. For in the grand scheme of things, they shouldn't be clicking on stuff. But come on people deploy better passwords you'd really have a hard time convincing me to download a file from like a youtube description about hacking software uh i would be very diligent with that and also obviously we have a channel as you mentioned that's fairly popular i know when something goes on to the channel you know what i mean like i can see it in our show inbox i can see it on my own youtube feed if it's a video that i don't recognize i would know right away and you would too how does this happen people just like are, are we really so um you know apathetic in our attention spans that we just don't care that apathy is the wrong word there but I, i'm not sure what the right word is it's escaping me at the moment but like we just don't care enough to look at our channels and protect our you know reputation i i suppose not it seems len <laughs> like to me it's not that hard and you're right password um you know password effectiveness at an all-time low here it seems i don't know what else to say it's like every week we talk about stories where most of the problems could be avoided with either 2fa or a stronger password but the content just keeps coming here on Access of Easy. There's no breaks. Everyone just continuing to throw away their private data vis-a-vis uh, -vis poor passwords. So good luck out there, I guess, if you don't want to do that. But you're going to find that more and more people are looking to grab these channels because uh, reputation is something that you have a difficult time buying, uh, as we've seen in the past. So um, security maybe the most important thing when it comes to reputational protection these days. And we, let's talk about that story that ties to the first one, which is the Love SEC. It. And their account on X, unfortunately for the SEC and probably for a lot of people out there as well, it was compromised. So just to, to give an idea of what's transpired this past week, actually for the past little while, there's been speculation that a Bitcoin ETF was going to be approved. And this has been going on for months, this, this speculation. And this past Tuesday, the SEC Twitter account announced that they have approved the spot Bitcoin ETF. And then shortly thereafter, they reneged this. They said, no, it's unfortunately because uh, this is not true because it was it was um, somebody compromised the account. And so Gary Gensler, the, the head of the SEC, said, no, no, this is not uh, not yet approved. <laughs> it caused a lot of stir. But, I mean, before I go even, even though it was approved this, at that point, by the way, even though it was approved at that point, like this, behind the scenes, it was a show, right? It was approved officially the next day and it went live yeah. on Thursday. So it's not like this wasn't coming. It just it took two days for this to officially become live. So on Tuesday, so this announcement came out on the SEC Twitter account. It's not true. It was hacked. But what happened through all this, the Bitcoin price pumped significantly. Mm -hmm. The Bitcoin price pumped about 10%-ish uh, or so, I think, from yeah, when it was like that. a significant amount. And, you know, shortly as soon as it, it was announced, like literally within you know a couple of minutes of it being announced, but not being disproved, the price of Bitcoin then dropped significantly as well, below the price where it started for this announcement. So it makes me wonder, like, what's going on here? A, who's doing what? Is it people that are buying these gold check marks from the dark web? I'll let a story that we talked about earlier today. The second thing is, what type of password security are they doing with the SEC? Now, the SEC, the Twitter account, just goes to show you. If you just do a little bit of talking on there about something, you can move markets. It may not be true. You just have access to the account yeah. and you just say something about anything 
the market's going to move. Somebody could take advantage of this, and probably somebody did take advantage of this. And it, I don't understand how they just don't employ stronger passwords, better security measures for something as important as the SEC's Twitter account. Because this thing, centralized it may be, but still a lot of people look at this as the be-all and end-all for getting information with respect to the markets. This is a, a closed garden, uh, closed-walled system, and right. they are the gatekeepers. And if they have an account, a Twitter account that is poorly managed, poorly run, and terrible password protection, I don't know what to say. And they're the ones preaching out there all the time. You should be using 2FA, good passwords. Yeah. And they're not the ones that are doing Like, that's hypocrisy at its finest. I mean, what else could I say about this? This is a true fail on every respect. I enjoyed this story quite a bit. Obviously, you and I are Bitcoiners, and this was great content uh, for that. I think it was uh, Wednesday, I guess. No, Tuesday. Tuesday. I had a great time Wednesday. with this story. Uh, I even joined a call in the chat that you and I are both in on the way home from uh, uh, a, a sports uh, equipment shop here in town because I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. The price was up at 48 or 49 and then down at 45 in the same like 15 minutes. And uh, one of the things that about this, like, I mean, you're calling it hypocrisy. I would just call it like laziness, I think, Len. Uh, probably somebody at the SEC is responsible for making sure that 2FA is turned on on that account. Elon obviously tweeting out later that the SEC account was compromised. The problem was that there was no 2FA. Someone got the password and off you go, right? That's all it takes. It's funny to me that uh, the SEC is responsible, at least in at least in name, you know, at least on the brochure, they're responsible for consumer protection. But holy Christ, man, talk about dropping the ball. You probably watched, you know, a, a, at least a seven or eight figure sum of liquidations on those two big candles, right? One green and then one red immediately after. And you got to think like the people who got absolutely torched by that price action, probably don't feel very protected, do they? <laughs> it's like it's like a constant battle with the SEC and their reputation. They just don't do themselves any favors. And like I mentioned, the best part is that that was almost for sure a scheduled tweet. And that's the thing I think that a lot of people are missing. You know, you can say what you want about them hacking the account, blah, blah, blah. But to me, that looks like a tweet that the SEC would put out anyways. And it looks like it was scheduled. So I, I think that they... Like Gary Gensler also talk about embarrassing should have done a press conference to talk about that and talk about the approval, but instead tweeted out like some, you know, soft whimper of a thing about how they don't approve of Bitcoin, even if they approve of the ETF completely ridiculous. That's a you know fraudulent agency in so many ways, but we'll save that for another story. We'll talk about this more next week. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. We're definitely gonna talk about it on CBP on Monday. I'll tell you yeah. that. Sim swapping. Oh, this is. I, I hate this. I, I actually hate this. This is the diciest are... part about owning a mobile phone. Easy. Yeah. Yep. So it, this is a good story because um, it's an interesting story because a gentleman by the name of Ryan DeLone, he's attempting to recover around $100,000 in his digital assets through a very interesting way, very interesting legal strategy. So he was subjected to a SIM swap account, SIM swap attack, sorry, where his account from Coinbase was compromise so he was keeping hundred thousand dollars ish of digital assets on coinbase buddy learn how to do self cold storage and you could be your own uh the master of your own domain so he's been working with experts to track the flow of where they were stolen because because this is all transparent and we're talking about the ledger like bitcoin for instance mm -hmm. so his lawyer ethan mora they identified the bitcoin wallet that the ultimate destination of his client's digital assets were sent to. 
And Mora says his client has since been made aware that the Bitcoin address in question is embroiled in an ongoing federal investigation into a cryptocurrency theft ring. I think this guy hit the jackpot here because how lucky is he to figure this one out that where his funds were sent to is actually Difficult in an ongoing in a lot investigation. Of cases, right? yeah. like, it's an incredible. So this gives him enough uh, ammo or some ammo, maybe enough ammo, to sue the person that is <laughs> holding on to these stolen funds because now he's able to, to connect dots here. Uh, so instead of traditional methods, you know, they're able to just to serve an attached legal notice to this small amount of Bitcoin sent to the address containing the stolen funds. This is very innovative because, again, as I said, Bitcoin is a public ledger. So you could actually see where funds are being sent to and, until it gets mixed and it kind of confiscates, sorry, it just uh, obscures the whole process. But this person didn't do it. I don't know why, dumbass, if you ask me. But it just goes to show you this is a new way of actually dealing with stolen goods, stolen yeah. digital assets. And it's a very interesting way of actually figuring out who got it. So I, I like it. I don't like the like I, I can't really blame the guy for the SIM swap attack. That's more of an issue with the the provider itself, the cell phone provider. They're the ones that are they're giving up the information to the attacker. So I, I feel sorry for this guy Ryan alone. I think this is a good opportunity for him to learn that self-custody of his Bitcoin and other digital assets is the best way to go. But that's a story for another time. But yeah, I found this story to be very interesting and I'm curious to see what happens at the end because this is still an ongoing story. So there's not nothing concluded as of yet. Me too. You can see uh, some of the stuff related to the on-chain analytics if you want. You can find this, you know, data here. There's a couple of links. I think at its core, at its core, Len, is this not a two FA problem? This is a two FA problem. If you had two FA enabled, you don't have to worry about being sim swap because your sim swap, you know, text message as two FA. Uh, doesn't do any good to the hacker. It doesn't do any good to the perpetrator, right? If you have the, the proper app, whether it's Authy or Google Authenticator or Microsoft or the, the free open source one you use, uh, there's tons of options here to stay away from SIM swapping. We've talked about on this show before, and I've talked about this on Two Whites and a Blue. I've talked about it on CBP. I've talked about it personal life, professional life. There is a like a staggering growth in incompetent people in positions that really require competent people more than we realize until it's too late. One of them is in these uh, mobile carrier help positions, service desk positions, uh, phone in agent positions, where they are getting fleeced. It seems like, Len, every week there's a big enough fleece job on a SIM swap that we talk about it on Easy or uh, Access of Easy. How, how is it possible that there's not more of these going on in the background? Of course there are. There's probably tons of them going on in the background. And, you know, the more that crypto and Bitcoin proliferate as uh, ways to store value and protect wealth and, and transfer wealth, the more this will become a problem. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, mobile carriers imp implementing significantly more stringent requirements for anyone calling in and pretending to be someone who owns an account or a phone. Because it's it's overdue, right? You can't rely 100% on Coinbase to make sure that your cell phone's not compromised. Coinbase is doing something, I'm sure, to make sure. but. They can't do a hundred percent of the work because it's not a hundred percent under their purview. And you know, I in in the case of this story, yeah, man, like you do a lot better, obviously, if you're self-custodying because you know, if you have your Bitcoin on a cold card, there is no SIM swap attack, right? If you have your Bitcoin on even a ledger or a treasure, one of these like, you know, garbage, really low-level retail wallets, um, you're still doing better than leaving it on Coinbase and opening yourself to a SIM swap attack. So I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about this on CBP. I'm not sure, but um, I'd be curious to hear where this goes and see where this goes because it's not often, you, like you mentioned, you have the endpoint 
pinned down like this. So uh, let's see. I don't know. Is he gonna? This guy just gonna go to his house? Like is he gonna get on a plane? <laughs> no, he's a five dollar <laughs> rented back to the perpetrator. <laughs> no, okay, no. you said there's six stories. That's the last story I see in the letter. Is no, there no, there, there's there's one more. Uh, when they sent us the information, they failed to provide us the link. I uh, have to do some digging into this. This is okay. Um, so it's what says crypto phishing attacks, okay. and this is a, a one that's took place actually a bunch of them that took place in 2023, and a staggering amount of money was lost through all these phishing attacks, and some 300 million dollars in total. Was stolen this is all done by malware and in 2023 cyber criminals successfully swindled as i mentioned 300 million dollars and this is over 300,000 victims so around you know it's it's a lot of victims out there that it's are being uh, yeah, yeah all through phishing attacks by the way <laughs> so a lot of people are pretty dumb uh the malware responsible for the highest loss i can't believe they actually were able to figure this out was inferno drainer and this one this single malware was able to, to siphon off a staggering 81 million dollars so this, this is the the mount rushmore of siphoning <laughs> off <laughs> so yeah phishing websites they're a primary tool to get people to give up their data and these websites as i mentioned in a previous story or at least the information with respect to uh phishing it's designed to mimic a legitimate project or airdrop so yeah. many people get suckered into these airdrop things thereby yeah. these unsuspecting users they're signing in with, with, you know, give up this information. They grant access to their wallets or their holdings, and it's done at that point. So that's all you got to do. You got to find somebody that is susceptible to airdrops, ask them to give up access to their holdings, and then voila, you're <laughs> you're in the gold here. So yeah, it just it's a reminder. You, you just can't give up your information like this willy-nilly. I'm sure people listening to this are, are not doing this, but stay away from scams. If people aren't there out there are getting into this, they're newly getting into this. When you see like a new project, NFTs, airdrops, all that garbage, mm -hmm. run away. <laughs> don't, don't get involved. Dive deep into what the heck is, why is it a scam, but don't give up any information. Don't connect your wallet to this. Don't give any like your email, nothing. Just read about it, laugh at it after, and then look at all the people that are being, having their funds siphoned off. So, and it's all due to malware and people are just, morons clicking on stuff giving away information willy-nilly but yeah that's the connecting, last thing connecting the wallet is insane we've talked so many times about how you know guys even as like presumably anyway maybe not actually bright and technologically savvy as mark cuban get fleeced on metamask by connecting their wallet to stupid airdrops or whatever and uh you hear this actually on bankless sometimes these guys talk about scams that are going on in the airdrop world i mean there's more scams than not the question is really only on the degree of scam Right. Like not every scam will drain your wallet directly by connecting it, but every scam will drain your wallet over time by forcing you to invest in worthless garbage. So, you know, if you want to play in this market, I would say you're asking for trouble, first of all. Second of all, you're asking for more taxable events than you can handle on your own with your Excel sheet. And I would say that you should just be playing with Bitcoin and buying Bitcoin and holding that self custody and not connecting wallets to anything there's no need to connect wallets you're talking about the future of finance uh, you know trust me my friends it's not in nfts and airdrops it's in uh the hardest asset around that's bitcoin so you know talking my book a little bit there but um i think we've been proven right over time here i don't think there's uh any doubt about that so yeah good good episode then that was a good rip friday morning rip got the coffee going or at least at least i did i'm drinking water now but uh that was number 
I closed my other tab 332, I think. So if you want to come back for 333, we'd love to have you. The water's warm. Come back uh, next week for the podcast. Sign up on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever feeder you use. And until the next episode of Data Breach and Overreach, and take care of yourselves. Yeah, take care.